Hello and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, poet and playwright, Mark Anthony Rossi. In this, our third year, we continue to explore the meaning of being an artist in an ever-changing digital world. Now, without further ado, here is your host. Hi, folks, and welcome back to Strength to Be Human. I'm your host, Mark Anthony Rossi, poet and playwright. And this is episode 187, The Transformative Powers of Art. I know, another big title, but there's a lot of big things in it for us to consider. I've always been fascinated with this topic for, for probably my entire life. And not to you know, cast any doubt on people who, who have pushed it, or, or be disrespect, disrespectful of people that are really passionate about it. But for for many years, though, it's it's been more anecdotal. It hasn't really, they really have a lot of scientific basis for everything. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not somebody that lives with, if I don't have a scientific fact on something, I can't believe. Because oftentimes, if you feel there's enough evidence yourself, uh, that can that can establish a theory or, or maybe even disestablish your faith in it. And so, you know, other things come along to build up. And in the last couple of years, that's what's happened over here, where we've seen some real evidence of this. So we're going to talk about that in the show. I'm going to talk about different facets of of the arts and, and uh, to be used as as a powers to heal, a therapy, and etc. And then we'll talk about a real fascinating book that's going to be coming out shortly. Um, I got an early review on it, and um, it's only in French, but hopefully it'll come out in English later in the year, like they normally do. Uh, but it's exciting because it really uh, puts the last, I think, uh, scientific uh, nail in, in the coffin on this situation and really brings it to uh, to full full fruition for us to be able to, to see. Uh, there can really be no more doubt if, after this. So that's why I'm really excited about it because uh, it's something you want to, to see happen to be true and it turns out it is and there's some interesting reasons why uh, art can have uh, transformative powers in people. Now, this is, of course, ironic because a lot of times when you bring these topics up, you can find various ironies, you know, involved in them. Um, I really came across this topic when I was younger in a fictional kind of way because uh, the writer O. Henry, that's the man that, uh, you know, they accused of uh, swindling money from the bank when he, when he, uh, when he worked there, and he wound up going to jail for three years and wrote most of his work in jail, including this story here called The Last Leaf. Now, this was a story that really showed, now obviously there's no scientific evidence to this, but it really showed the faith in, in the writer and in the arts and how they can have an effect on people's healing powers or maybe even cause them to uh, uh, increase their healing powers or, or maybe just increase their their more positive outlook, which, which I'm told even by, you know, Norman um, Vincent Peale uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago uh, when he came out with that uh, positive thinking, you know, how the, the, there was power in it. Well, there's obviously some power in, in, in positive thinking if it's inspired through the arts as well. Now, 
in the last leaf, and I'm going to mean this spoiler for anybody who hasn't read it. Oops, if you haven't, uh, uh, it's been like uh, 100 years now, so <laughs> I'm going to have to uh, break the bubble here, okay? So he writes the story about, and this, this happened in the early 1900s. He's referring to the uh, pneumonia epidemic. There was a pneumonia epidemic from the late 1880s in the United States up until the early 1900s. I believe this story was written in 1907. And I think that uh, the um, uh, pneumonia epidemic went up to around like 1918 or 19 before it, it stopped. Now, don't forget, if you're not aware of this, uh, back in those days, okay, uh, the two things that kill people on a regular basis, two things that now we now have antibiotics for, uh, pneumonia, which was the number one uh, killer of people, and um, the blood from the lungs. They used to call it consumption. Tuberculosis. Sorry, it almost slipped my mind there. Those were the two killers. Up until the 1950s, when we started eating more processed foods and having a more processed society, where cancer became the number one killer, that was the number one killer. Um, the flu. Uh, excuse me, uh, the... Uh, Pneumonia. Sometimes the complications from the flu gave you pneumonia and then you died. Because um, no one really dies from the from the flu. They actually die from pneumonia. And of course, uh, tuberculosis. These were things that were spread. And of course, they had no antibiotics. They barely had any kind of real treatment. I mean, most of the times it's just trying to take care of you the best you can. And hopefully your body fights it off. With the case of tuberculosis, you're going to die. It, it wasn't going to go away. Pneumonia is different though. You can treat somebody. You know, in in a month or four to to six weeks, that they, they can actually get over it and and you know go on to a healthy life. Uh, not the same thing with tuberculosis. You got five years and you're gonna die. So he puts together a, a, a story, and it, it always always wrapped my imagination more than most stories because I just seen the profound wisdom in it and the faith in it. This is a man who's supposed to be a thief talking about something. This is beautiful. Yeah, this story alone told me there's something wrong with that with that crazy theory. And it turns out many years later, um, the evidence is shifting to the bank manager, not him, and he just got framed for it. And um, but I'm not surprised. So what he did was he had a painter, guy who who would you know who can paint um, portraits and you know paintings that sort of thing. Um, he he knew a girl that was uh, that was dying from pneumonia and and worse off uh she had no real will to fight it which you know we'll talk about on the show because apparently will and positive thinking and all these sort of things that you need to try to get activated in your system they really have a a, a real role on on people reversing their their health uh, predicaments or even just aiding in, in the healing itself and uh i guess either he realized that or he just liked the idea of the story but he had figured because she kept saying to him, she's looking out the window of her bed, which she couldn't leave from. And um, every day, the tree that she was looking at, another leaf would fall off. And and every time that happened, she kind of felt that once all the leaves were gone, that was the end of her time on earth and she was going to die. And, and she had got herself convinced into that, which of course is a horrible predicament to have, you know, to have happen to somebody. So he figured, yeah, okay. I got to do something here. So um, he read her a couple of stories and he said the light was too much for his eyes and he closed it, the uh, 
the blinds so that and the curtains so this way she couldn't see out the window anymore he said it was just too much distracting for him you know he read a couple stories she got knocked out fell asleep and lo and behold he got a ladder he crawled between the two buildings you know there was like an alleyway over there and he put up a, a canvas the size of her window and he painted the tree and he painted the tree with the with the last leaf on it because at that point that he was talking to her it was only two leaves left so he was getting concerned too. He figured one's going to fall down, maybe both of them. So he wound up painting a tree that looked just like a tree with one leaf. And then he opened up the windows when he visited the next day. She's sure that was one leaf, but, you know, he assured her that he, he thought she was going to get better and that, you know, she needed to hold, hold on. And every time he visited her every day, she saw that that one leaf was there. And after a couple of days, she started believing in that, that, yeah, I can, I can make it. This is my destiny to, you know, to survived this thing and eventually that's what happened nothing ever fell down and uh, she wind up getting out of bed and and lived and she didn't want to look at the window anymore she wanted to get the hell out of that house who can blame her <laughs> i would want to do the same thing so that was really the first time for me that i i had, I had read something or i had saw something that really mentioned you know in, in no uncertain terms that art had a real role in people's health. Maybe even saving somebody's life. And like in that case there. You know, I know there was no science back when I was growing up on this sort of thing. There wasn't very much. But there was still a lot to be said about many people, including artists themselves, having some real speculation if it had an impact or not. So many of them had, had suspected it for a long time. Okay? Now, we're going to talk about... Um, not only writing uh, as art and how it can help, and also music too, okay? But we'll talk about the paintings themselves, and that's going to be a big part of the show towards the end here. We'll talk about that book that man's coming out with and all the scientific things that he was able to discover, okay? So we're going to first go in the first section. We're going to go to writing therapy. Then we'll go down to music therapy. Then we'll go right into the, uh, you know, um, what we're going to call Art That Heals because that's really the name of the book. Okay, in, in English, that's the name of it, all right? Now, writing therapy. I've mentioned this for years. I even wrote a book about this subject. Uh, there's a big journal that was out for a long time, uh, the Journal of Art, uh, of uh, Poetry Therapy, because there's actually a, a real psychological um, school of thought that uh, poetry uh, can help people. Uh, get through their doldrums, get through their depression, get through their post-stress, get through traumatic things that have happened to help them to move forward. And uh, well, I know we mentioned it a number of times on the show, and we've had a few episodes uh, around that uh, subject, where the heart of writing and therapy, whether it's poetry or this regular writing, is that the person, by doing this, is eventually learning to open up more and therefore start confessing uh, whether it's components of uh, the guilt or the trauma that they're dealing with or the whole thing eventually so that it, it allows them to unravel in their mind because it becomes like a tight ball you know in in, in your soul that you, you can't seem to move forward with and and, and for some people it, it's such a pain that you know they wind up getting stuck on the on these psychotropic drugs given to them legally by by a psychiatrist which I don't mock, and I don't make light of it, but I'm, I'm convinced that most depressions out there 
other than the really severe ones, um, can be handled without drugs, can be handled through various therapies, uh, talking and, and, and groups and, and art and, and etc. And, and you can move forward with, with that. Um, so most of them don't even need that. And I found that in many cases, uh, people wind up getting themselves in trouble in other areas of their health because, you know, the depression is not really being handled. It, it, it's it, it, all the post-stress. It, it's being like kind of plastered over by a drug for a little while. And, and remember, unless it's a drug that actually treat and cure something, you know, like an antibiotic, you know, um, it's really there just to simply the mask over the symptoms. It doesn't deal with them. It just helps you, you know, uh, get through the day maybe in terms of pain management that sort of thing and, and that that's good in the short term don't get me wrong but it's not good in the long term it's not a solution to constantly having to take a drug every day so you wind up giving people even more problems than they had before and i don't know if uh psychiatrists or psychiatrists really take that into account because i don't know if they believe in them too much or maybe they're getting a credit from some company that asks them to push the pill i don't know but um, I'm suspicious of that because I've seen people, especially in the VA, where they wind up uh, you know, having their health and their life turned up upside down even more than before. And that's what, not what we're supposed to be doing. We should be trying to help people. Now, all writing, all writing therapy, okay, really is about doing things to try to discover your own emotional well-being or, or your own emotional issues to try to like view things whether it's a you know an informal piece of writing on a piece of paper or it's something more structured in a journal where you can maybe even release some of those thoughts to some professional therapist who you talk to maybe once a week or something or even in a group therapy session on, on something that you can share and you know see what kind of impact it it has it's not of an art nature you're not actually doing something like this and, and then editing it and then you're sending it out in the world people don't do that because this tends to be very uh private sensitive type stuff but it's a it's a huge it's a huge advantage because some cliches have a, a real real grain of truth in them and sometimes they have more than a grain of truth in them sometimes they are true and uh that old uh, expression uh, confession is good for the soul is no joke it's no quaint little thing it's no hallmark expression it's no religious you know faithful element that sounds cool when you go home later on you gotta deal with real life no confession really is a, a, an important component of many things uh, part of it is because sometimes and you'll find this especially with people in post-stress situation they're feeling guilty and they're having their lives abbreviated and they're having emotional well-being interrupted uh, having guilt on something they haven't even done wrong but they feel guilty on something because maybe it happened to them. Maybe they come across something. They come across a dead body and now they feel horrible. They come across somebody who raped them or almost raped them or something. You know, came close and somebody interrupted it. Oh, they were interrupting it. But they still feel guilty for something they did not cause. It's not the same guilt of, you know, you, you accidentally, uh, you know, hit a kid with your car. The kid survived, but you still feel horrible about that. That's different because that's something that even if it's an accident, you did actually do. So you'll find a lot of people with these issues, they, they're trapped, you know, in this hellish world of, of a guilt that, that shouldn't even be attributed to them. So they really need to get that out because when they get that out, that allows them to deconstruct what it is that they're feeling bad about. 
and maybe one day there's like, yeah, that is crappy. And yeah, I'm a human being. I should feel bad about that. But I'm not going to spend 57 years feeling bad about that. And that's how they get themselves out of that hole. You know, it, it might not be that somebody throws them a rope. It might be just something that they figure out that they can climb out themselves. All they have to do is believe that they have the strength to do so. And this is really what writing therapy in all its different forms, whether it's plays or essays or poems or, you know, any of that sort, journals, those have become real popular. That's really what it does, and that's really what it's supposed to do, and that's really where it has a, a big beneficial help there. So in that way, it does help your health of a psychological nature, of course. You know, there isn't as physical um, of a response to this as there might be some of the other uh, um, forms of this uh, art healing that we're going to be talking about, okay? But that's definitely one of them, and you're going to find that sometimes... Even when yourself, even when you're a person that hasn't suffered, you know, some kind of a traumatic event or some kind of guilt or some kind of depression, you know, you might have times yourself where you're going to feel, you know, sort of the blues or you're going to feel a little down about a few of other things. And you're going to find that sometimes your writing, even when it's meant to be art, could be a, a sign to help you and, and maybe give you a couple of answers or a couple of pointers in the way that's necessary for you to get back on your feet. So, yes. All right. Now, one of the things I wanted to say here, and, and just going forward, is evidence continues to mount that there are physical, emotional, psychological, uh, the writing therapy is more uh, emotional and psychological, improvements in people with illness who are exposed to art. Okay? So, that's really what we're talking about over here, folks. All right? There really is evidence towards this. Next, we want to talk about music therapy. Now, for like literally hundreds of years, centuries, okay, there have been composers that felt better when they uh, finished composing a piece, or other people who listened to it. It it, it helped it helped their moods. There were people during uh, you know Beethoven's time when uh, he would perform the pieces in in a concert hall. That people really rushed elderly uh, patients or people who were sick so they could hear it because it actually improved their health. So yes, as much as it might have an emotional and a psychological response, uh, music because of the the sound waves and because of even the mathematics behind how it's put together, it helps your brain. And because it helps your brain, you actually get some physical relief from it. There are actually... Uh, things that get released into your brain that, that helps you in order to feel better about yourself and, and the world. I got the um, right over here. One second. Uh, yeah, there we go. All right. Uh, what, what gets released, and we'll talk about this a little bit further later, but what gets released is uh, adrenaline and cortisone. And, and this helps uh, uh, relay uh, an invigorating effect on your body. Okay. And that allows you to, to have a, a sort of relaxation. You know, if you want to call it, you know, uh, Botox without the Botox, you know. No drug involved, but you got to get a Botox effect in your body where people just decompress and that helps them. And uh, music has always had that ability to do so. You've, you've seen all kinds of um, musicians over the years that, that constantly talk about this. 
uh, how it, it, it put them in a, a different state that took them away from the, 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 the life they had. I mean, we've, we've seen stories of uh, children that were abused, got taken away from their abusive parents. Parents went to jail. In some cases, parents didn't go to jail. And put into places where they got adopted by family and they uh, learned music from that family. Even took it upon themselves to learn how to play an instrument. And how, in many ways, it helped um, them through their childhood. Uh, to deal with, uh, you know, why the parents who brought me in this world beat me. Which I don't know if anyone can really answer the question. But what I do know is that from anybody that has anything traumatic going on. It doesn't really go away, you know, in your heart or in your soul. It, there, there is a scar there, and oftentimes there are questions that they're not going to get answered. But what happens in therapy, what happens in music therapy, is as the person understands the beauties that they can find in the world, they understand that first and all, not the whole world is like this. Not This is not what humanity is all about, beating people. Then they realize, of course, that they can put that more and more behind them. It doesn't mean that they forget it. It doesn't mean that, you know, this is, hasn't happened. They don't go into a denial. It's just that they can now stuff it in some kind of psychological drawer and close it. I know it's there, but it doesn't have to harm me anymore. And that allows them the strength to be able to do that. Uh, with, the, with the hopes, of course, that when they have their own family, they understand, you know, how vital it is to stay, uh, you know, in communication with your children and, and how, um, you know, hitting them or harming them in any fashion, regardless of the course of your day or, or even regardless of some of the dumb things they do, it is not the way to express love and it's certainly not the way to help them uh, form, you know, an idea of, of, of corrective behavior. You'd be surprised that if you take something away that a child uh, loves, uh, whether it's time and letting them go to bed early or a dessert or an iPad or whatever, that's a lot more devastating than, than, than smacking them in the butt or, or knocking them over the head. It, it, it has a hell of a more of a corrective action to it without having to harm the child. So I'm not a namby-pamby kind of guy. I'm not no new age dork head. I'm not some hippie smoking pot and blah, blah, blah. That's no big deal. I don't care about violence. No. I understand when violence is necessary, but it's necessary in, in the self-defense uh, of your person, in a situation, in, in, uh, for the nation when you're at war. There's no self-defense for a child. So therefore, in my opinion, as a parent, somebody who has uh, raised two boys, it's just, not it's just not necessary. It's never necessary to do. There's always a way to talk out of it. There's always ways to take something away. There's always ways to, to provide punishment that has nothing to do with pain. That they still understand that a lesson is going to be maintained here. So there's no reason for violence at all in that, in that regard. And it's sad how people have to go through therapies and, and, and etc. in order to, to understand that. Because you, you remember the child is many ways like that adult that's carrying all this guilt on something that they didn't do to deserve that. Whether that person, the adult, was raped and now they have all this guilt. Or the child, you know, has, has spent years being beaten by the parents and locked in rooms and all this other crap. Uh, and for, for what? You know, they, ate, they ate some extra dessert. Uh, they, they were up a little later than they should. You know, they, they broke a glass in, in the kitchen. I mean, just dumb things that hurt somebody with sticks and belts and fists and... 
unbelievable. Those all those people should be in jail. I have anything to do with it, I'll tell you that. But these kind of music therapies are very, very essential to helping those people. And you'd be surprised in how many actors and how many musicians and how many other people ultimately in interviews talk about them having abusive childhoods and how music was their way out. Not just their way out to make a buck or the way out to, to meet cool people uh, or, or to get famous, but their way out of that situation to where they can finally put it behind them and, and move on ahead as, as the people they want to be. You know, versus somebody that had their, uh, you know, emotional and psychological, maybe even physical, God, you know, health stunted. So that's that's the beauty of, of, of music therapy in that way. They have a real study of it now. Uh, we have credentialed professionals that actually have music therapy programs. We have people actually learn uh, what they can get out of music and how it can help them. Um, there are people... Now, and um, the physical therapy, uh, or what they call physical rehabilitation, at many of these clinics and, and even in hospitals now, where part of the physical um, rehabilitation is just not, you know, uh, doing strength training or weights or learning to walk with this with this bar that holds you up so you can get your leg strength and so you can learn to walk again. It also has a component of music in it, music that that person. Um, likes that it helps them reach them so when they play it they they feel that it helps them become more confident or, or maybe just gain the sense of normalcy because you know you, let's face it here without mocking anything you know um you're trying to walk again with these parallel bars you know and your legs are failing and you're trying to make them strong that's not exactly a normal situation you know I mean, um, uh, maybe a, a month or two before that that injury or whatever you had, everything was normal. You didn't have to worry about this sort of thing. So sometimes that's what music brings you back to those days or days that you want to go to again, and it helps you helps you get there. And uh, it, it's just better than having a, a quiet place. Believe it or not, quiet isn't all that helpful because. You know as well as I do that before whatever happened to you, you were, you wasn't in a quiet place. You know, you got music running around, you're running around doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So, you know, you have to bring some of that back into the mix if you're going to get uh, some real progress with any kind of rehabilitation, particularly the the the, uh, the physical one. And music therapy is a big part of that. It doesn't have to be anything that formal. Could just literally be putting a couple of songs on that the person really, really loves, really identifies with, remembers, you know, doing something with physically, and now they got this song going on. So it, it, there's a real, real power to it, a real, a real beauty to it that, that I really like. And and in many ways, to me, it it's always made sense. So I've always not, I never had to really be convinced that that music he had some kind of uh, you know therapeutic. Uh, into it all i'm just i'm just not surprised to me because there's something um i dare say magical about music but there is something you know that that seems to be brain wave friendly maybe because it has the mathematical component you know and, and the brain really uh, you know it takes that in i know we uh i remember um one of the boys growing up, uh, playing them the DVDs from Baby Einstein. And, and in Baby Einstein, they would have the various classical musics. 
that the baby would understand and, and see different shapes and do different things. And I could see how they reacted to that a lot. And I really enjoyed doing that. You know, and uh, I like to think that, you know, it, it had some kind of effect. I, I remember we put a, um, the speaker on my wife's, um, you know, belly when she had both boys. And, and to play uh, various classical music to so, so let that go into the, into the fetus as well. And my wife would often say that, that the fetus would calm down. It wouldn't be so restless at times. And so it was, it was good for that. So I've always been a believer in that. And it's good to see that more and more of the scientific community see that there's a real merit to that. So that's, that's pretty exciting. All right. The, the last part of this is the art therapy. And let, let's go on to this here. So in France, there, there's a, a, a neuroscientist, okay? And his name is Pierre Le Marquis, okay? And Pierre Marquis, he wrote, he wrote this book. It's in French, and we'll hope it will come out in English you know, later in the year, okay? And the name of the, the, the book is La Kigurit, or in my bad French, uh, Art That Heals, <laughs> all right? And... Um, what he did, and this is what I really found it astounding, and I, I found it so uh, not only um, um, amazing, but what I also found was that his dual approach really, really answers a lot of questions. Because what he did was he didn't just approach this subject scientifically, he also approached it artistically. So by doing those two in a parallel way, it allows him to really make some connections and, and allowed to really see how that was a real possibility. It was almost like, you know, having um, a drug and then a placebo, you know, and then you see what, what's going to go on over there. So I, I like that because he came up with some real astounding things. Now, one of the things that he's talking about, uh, Pierre Lamarquis, is this. His central theme of the entire book, Art That Heals, is let's try to get medicine that's a little artistic. So what he's trying to say is he wants to be able to add some kind of art into the medicine that we provide people because he believes that it's become a, a real important component on helping the healing process. All right, so I'm going to read you a couple of uh, real critical things that I, I found from the review of his book that just, that just really took me for a loop and, and really helps a, a great deal on not only understanding this, uh, you know, this, uh, this new uh, scientific field, but also it really answers a lot of questions for us, I believe. Okay, now... Apparently, there's a lot of scientific back evidence now that art can play a crucial role in healing our bodies and minds. Okay? Now, he had studied the art that came even from the Paleolithic period, you know, when people were like, drawing these things on, on the cave. Obviously, you can't understand the, 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 the mind of a caveman doing something like this, but you have to say to yourself, as a scientist or even as an artist, why? I'm a caveman, I, I, I hit the dude over the head if he comes in my camp, you know what I mean, I uh, meet with the girl and she has a baby, I, I beat the hell out of the woolly mammoths and I eat the, you know, the flesh, you know, and that's pretty much my life, you know what I mean, mating, eating, hunting, bopping somebody over the head, and fighting, you know, and that's pretty much it. Why do I need to paint? So this shows you there's something in our brain that says go out there, go out there and reproduce stuff. Go out there and make something happen because it's almost like your your brain and your mind is is telling you, you know, um, 
we we need to announce the things that we're doing and the things that we're discovering in life to others or even to the world. And maybe that's, in, in a funny kind of way, uh, the first radio broadcast is from a caveman doing a, a painting or a cavewoman. We don't really know the gender, actually. I just saved caveman because it sounds cool. But yeah, it could be a cavewoman, too. But I just don't know because, you know, they, they seem to really put the women to the side and... You know, but they did a lot of the pottery and a lot of the, uh, you know, making of the clothes and everything, too. But um, I guess it's always possible there could be a cave woman painting. But, you know, this cave creature, this Neanderthal, Neanderthal this uh, paralithic, you know, creature is, is painting because it's almost like he's trying to broadcast something that he's discovered. Look at me I, with this spear and I just stabbed the hell out of this thing that's a hundred times bigger than I am because uh, I am a man. You know, I am a, I am a creature. This is my land, you know, etc. So there's almost something that's intrinsically artistic in people from the moment that they're born that they want to do something like that. And uh, I always find that pretty damn fascinating. Now, in the book, he talks a lot about the psychology and the philosophy of some of these things. Now, one of the first things he's done, okay, is he looked over 3,000 studies, okay, and each one of them had real evidence of identifying major role for the arts in the prevention or even the uh, the uh, the increased uh, healing of illnesses in people. Okay, uh, there's a report that came out in the 2019 from the World Health Organization, and uh, and then and this is pretty fascinating too because he wanted to duplicate this in France, but in 2018, doctors in Montreal, Canada, okay, they made headlines because what they started doing is prescribing. Yeah, literally like in a prescription. Patients who suffer from certain diseases, prescribe them a visit to the museum. The Montreal Museum of Fine Arts. Is that incredible or what? Yeah, you're not feeling well? I want you to go to this museum and check out these paintings. And by doing this, it turns out that it really helped them to turn a corner in, in, in their depression. Or even in some of the emotional doldrums. Because you remember, you can actually have, um, on a temporary basis, mental issues because of your physical problems. Well, you go into the hospital and you didn't have this real depression before, but now, you know, they just took your leg because you had diabetes and the leg had to go. Or, you know, you just had the surgery in your intestines, but... You keep coming back for infections, and now you find out you got to alter your diet. You got to do other things, you know, if you want to live. That winds up making you sad and everything like that. It winds up helping you get over that because sometimes, uh, in order to be able to help a person physically through medicine or through surgery, you know, it, it could co it could cause them to have to sacrifice certain things, certain qualities they might have liked in their life, or it could cause them certain setbacks that that that's got to be crappy and definitely sad. All right. Now, according to this here, this is what I really found really really fascinating is he decides, okay? That's a uh, Lamarcky. He decides to actually start examining the brains of people who are checking out art or even who have made art using the MRI. He can examine what he's called the brain pathways. To see if the certain parts of their brain is activating, what's it doing to stimulate them, and he can see real results there. In fact, what he says here is, 
he sees uh, from talking to these uh, patients afterwards and, and examining the MRIs that in many ways there's a sort of like a rebirth taking place. Now, I don't know if that means that new neural, uh, you know, brain cells are being formed, but something is activating in the brain that wasn't activating before. I don't know if that's the, our sense of hope or faith or positive thinking or whatever, but what does activate is being stimulated and that winds up changing the direction in the person's attitude. And attitude, especially in health, what we're going to learn through this whole show here, and what we should know in our own life, is has a huge impact on how a person can heal, even if they never heal at all, even if it actually winds up making their health worse, because their attitude winds up putting more pressure on them, on their system, and the stress winds up putting pressure on the blood pressure, and or, or even on on their breathing, or, or even on their rates of infection. Do you know that a, a more positive outlook, you have a, a better chance of, of beating infection, this is without antibiotics, than, than just being a negative all the time. Because you, you lower your immune system when you're negative, you help rise it when you're more positive. And that's, this is one of the reasons why. There's a real connection to all of these things. So he does this, okay? Um, it, it's a new subfield, it's called of, of neuroscience called neuroaesthetics. So you use the MRI and you study people's brains who have done art or who are watching art to see what happens to them, what's going on. Okay. So I really find that's incredible. He actually did this with people who went to see the Michelangelo Sistine Chapel and checked out all of the the various uh, ceiling paintings to see what their brain looked like afterwards. The astounding, and then of course, there is a uh, there's a big sculpture uh, from uh, Nikki um, de la Saint Fallies. It's a giant sculpture where people enter into the sculpture, and you're actually entering into a, a vaginal opening. Yeah, I'm not trying to sound dirty here, but that's that's just, that's the sculpture. You walk into this thing, and I guess it's supposed to have some some symbolic or metaphoric meaning. God, I hope so, because um, walking into a giant vaginal area that that be about art. But he actually did MRIs on those people who did that too. And of course found that people uh, had a, a stimulation going on. Not that kind, but, you know, in their brain. And, and, and that actually helped them improve. So that I thought was incredible. It, it really is. Okay. It says right here that he believes neural networks are forming. And they're, of course, becoming heightened and then you have more states of connectivity because of your experience with this art okay art in his words can both sculpt using the art word and caress our brains okay a work of art moves us and we used to say that in the metaphoric way oh it moves me this poem moves me that painting moves me well guess what he's trying to say no 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 it actually moves you not metaphorically. Something in your brain is moved to heighten itself to be stimulated. So, incredibly enough, you, the, the moving that's going on is actually something physical that's happening in your brain because of your art experience. Because of you connecting that way, it now helps more things connect in your mind. Okay? He said it helps the process of mirror neurons. They're activated when you observe art. Okay? And you get the healing because you're participating in the art's creation. Because that's what the brain believes that's happening. It's almost like the brain is helping you put yourself in the shoes of the artist. So you feel like you're there. 
you know, almost like that, you know, like that 3D movie experience. Only in this case, it's, you know, a painting. All right, so our, bra our brains have a tendency to think that they're interacting with the biological entity when they're perceiving figurative painting. All right, so they literally feel like something real is happening. So therefore, something real is happening in the brain. Now, that's just incredible. It really is. What I really like about this whole situation is this. He said, hey, if those people are being delivered by van from the hospital to the museum and are getting these experiences from the paintings, why don't I do something different? He decided to create a program, okay, where he has paintings that are loaned from the museum and they are brought in the hospital room, delivered right there, set up right there, and then they can check it out all day, all day, every day. Seeing what kind of effect that has. And when he did that, well, guess what? Also incredible things that happened. He was able to mimic the same results they had in Montreal, you know, the, the year before. Because he did this in 2019. Did theirs in 2018. Okay? He said right here, and this is really interesting, okay? He was quoting a, a, a French author. Uh, a French author. The author's name is, is called Stendhal. Alright? Stendhal wrote something that when people had, had read it, they thought maybe he was a little off his rocker or maybe he's just way too excited. But he wrote this, okay? That he felt a kind of ecstasy, like he was being absorbed in the contemplation of the sublime beauty of the painting. His heart beat so fast that he almost collapsed. So it turns out that no, that's a real physical response to a painting. And La Marquis now reminds us that the guy wasn't off his rocker. That wasn't an over-exaggerated written experience. That really happened because that can really happen. Okay, and he said, La Marquis, he says, I attribute this reaction to his brain being invaded by emotions stimulated by the rise of adrenaline on his autonomous nervous system. Wow, so there you go. Not only a psychological explanation, but a psychological reason, and in many ways a physical description of what was actually going on. So it's all happening together. It's all happening psychologically, but sometimes, you know, things can be so intense psychologically that you can have, you know, that, uh, that, that physical reaction. If you think about it, think about a food that you haven't had in a long time that you'd love to have, and maybe you've been sick and now you want to have it again. Sometimes when you think about it, Literally, your water from your mouth starts like, like, like a fountain in your mouth. That, that's a physical reaction to something you were just thinking. So our body and our minds, they are connected. Maybe they're not as connected as they should be, as they were maybe centuries ago because of all the modern technologies, all the modern you know, um, conveniences we had, all the modern noise and all the other stuff that goes on that maybe sometimes prevents us from having that connection. But... Art allows us to go back to where we need to be at. And because of that, people can get some healing from that. People can get some clarity from that. People can get things in their lives that they might not have gotten before because the experience of art was the only way to help them connect. Connect the body to their mind. Or maybe connect the mind to the art. And it all connects that way. Alright, here we go. Now, I find this definitely a mystery. This is even more scientific, okay? That's what I really like about it, too, okay? He says, Le Marquis, that art activated areas in our brains light up like they're both making or contemplating art. 
they release hormones and neurotransmitters that when stimulated, okay, they're beneficial to our health and they make us feel good. These include dopamine, that's what's lacking actually in, in Parkinson's patients, serotonin, which you know is found in a lot of antidepressant medication, but it's also found in your body too. You might be able to make some of that and therefore get out of depression without having to take the drug of that because it's naturally in you and art can get that for you without having to take a prescription. All right, there's also endorphins and oxytocin. These are, these are painkillers. They support pain management and reduction. Those are in you. They can come out more. Adrenaline and cortisol, like we talked about before, they can be activated to have an invigorating effect on your body. Okay? They can allow you to be more relaxed. All right? And because of all of these hormones, they can help treat these hormones naturally made because of art activating your brain, mental illness, mental loss, and even illnesses associated with stress and other health concerns. So, people who had in the hospital these chronic uh, wounds and issues, well, a lot of them have a real help. Uh, he's mentioning in his own experience a, a woman who was in the hospital and she had a lot of wounds, uh, chronic wounds in her legs. She was able to, to really get motivation and, and, and help her get more healing because she had the painting okay, of a dancer hung in her room. Okay, it distracted her from her illness and allowed her to really concentrate on the painting and allowed her mind to be a wander more. And, and by little by little, she wanted to be able to walk again. Now, I, I found the story especially amazing because I remember a couple of years ago another thing that happened. And when this happened and I read about it, I just thought it was a one off situation. I didn't put the whole art therapy thing together. Now that I read this, it comes to me, I'm like, wow, it just hit me that much harder. So let me tell you about that. A couple of years ago, I read about a woman, and she uh, had a lot of leg problems, and she's having a lot of problems walking, and, and once they finally successfully uh, did the surgery to get her legs to operate again, well, she didn't have any more motivation to do so. In fact, she became bitter and very negative, stuck in the, in the bed, and they just didn't want, they didn't know what to do. So his doctor's talking to some people. He wind up getting a hold of some uh, social worker. And she said, listen, I heard that art can help. I'm going to bring a painting over for her in a room. And he's like, really? But he wasn't even sure about it. He was skeptical. But he's like, nothing else we're doing is working. Why not? So he gets the painting set up in a room. She looks at it. She's laughing at it, saying it's stupid, telling you all everybody to go to hell and bliss and that, da-da-da. After a couple of days... The painting starts to get on her. The painting is a woman with a really nice dress on, okay, uh, getting ready to go into uh, one of those, um, uh, I, not the mask balls, but just a, just a ball in general. You, you really dress up, you know, really nice. She's about to go in there, you know, she's behind stage in, in a beautiful dress about to jump into this, into this ball. And suddenly, a few days into it, the nurses started reporting to the doctor that her attitude seems to have changed. That she seems a little bit more cordial. She seems uh, um, just more ready to do things. And, and just has a better demeanor. And then he's like, what the hell? So he goes to talk to her. And he just wants to know, you know, can he start getting a schedule for rehabilitation? She says, yes. And he's like, what? And he wants to know, you know, what's going on? What changed the mind? What, you know, what is she feeling about the situation? And all she could tell him was, I believe that I will look better in that dress than that friggin' harlot in the damn painting you put in my room. 
<laughs> she used a different word for haul it, okay? I'm, I'm just trying to sound family friendly over here. But basically, that's what she said. That was her motivation. Uh, not not the, the how beautiful the painting is or how crappy her legs are or anything else. She was discovering, which we learned later on in, in the story, that it really wasn't about the leg loss. It was really about she had finally had the impact when she saw that painting. What that she what she was losing was she was losing a part of her femininity that she couldn't go out there and walk in a nice dress anymore or show her legs off because she got all these scars and all this crap and it's hard to walk and always in pain and blah blah blah. It it just I guess it just hit her that wow I need to get back to that. I need to go back to being the woman I'm supposed to be, and I'm not gonna be able to do that in this damn bedroom. Uh, excuse me, in this damn hospital room. I need to go out there and rehabilitate myself and move forward. And then I'm going to go show that painting up. I'm going to go kick some butt in my own dress. Well, I guess anything that's going to help you, great. Who expected that? But I, I remember reading the story and I'm like, I love it. It's great. But I, just, I, just, I didn't get the healing from the art thing from it. it. To me, it just seemed like a, a cool, interesting story. I just never made the connection. And now I look at this and he's literally talking about a woman. Uh, Looking at a painting, and this painting was for a dancer. It wasn't a, a ball or anything like that, because you know dancers don't really wear, especially the ballet dancers, they don't really wear a lot of clothing. Um, but it helped motivate that woman, and now I see the real connection there. You know, I, I guess whatever it took, and I guess it never, it never really occurred to me that, um, yeah, you could probably lose uh, some of your your gender or your sexuality with illnesses if you let them go on too long, because yeah, you, the parts of you don't work anymore, or parts of you that you don't allow work anymore because of that. So, yeah, it makes sense what, what she had to say and, and how it ultimately uh, rehabilitated herself, a painting. You know, let it go out there again, you know. The story never mentioned if she was married or not or um, how old she was, you know. But I got I to gotta assume, you know, from her reaction that she was probably, uh, you know, a widower and, not, and probably older. And was ready to, you know, go out there and, you know, rock and roll with a dress. Maybe you'll go have a life again. Hey, maybe even meet somebody and remarry. I don't know. But um, the important thing is that person found the faith and the inspiration to move forward so they can go get a new life. They didn't have to get, you know, restricted from the, from the one before. Or have to live with all the problems they had before. They could put that behind them so I, I thought that was just incredible when it hit me when I when I read that 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 part of that review and it mentioned that that whole passage in there I'm like oh yeah yeah that's that's it that is right it that's that's definitely it so this is an incredible book I definitely can't wait to for it to come out in English it's called Art That Heals uh, Pierre uh, Le Marquis uh, a French neuroscientist and artist that did a lot of the studying and, and a lot a lot of, a lot of uh I find a, a humane way of going about things. Yeah, why not add more humanity to science? So add more humanity to medicine. You know, I'm all... And I know it's an American viewpoint, so maybe not everybody shares it. But I'm always for the for the doctor that doesn't really have the best bedside. Because I don't really care what kind of bedside manner you are. So I, I'm having you there to help my situation, to get it fixed, to get it healed. I'm not really there to chat with you and have a good old time and we're going to play golf next week or something. You know, I, I need you to do your damn job. You know, that, that's what you're there for. Uh, I'll get some friends somewhere else. 
you know, but I hear lots of people say that they wish the doctor was a little bit more chipper, that they wish the doctor had a couple of stories or a joke now and then, that they wish the doctor can add some other elements in their lives. And it winds up being that the nurses or the social workers or other volunteers in hospitals wind up adding more things because the doctors are just too busy thinking they have to be super serious doctor dudes all the time or something or doctor women or whatever. But maybe they need a little bit of this too, to add this to it because it helps, you know? We've, we've seen in the hospitals already how people have done the physical arts they're bringing in, that the clowns and the, doing the balloon animals and magic tricks and, you know, even people playing a, a song or a guitar. We, we've seen how that's all been helpful with sick kids and, you know, people who've been uh, locked in a hospital for a long time because they're elderly and they're really gravely ill. So it's not really, uh, to me, uh, scientifically surprising that we now have more evidence that this stuff actually works because it does. And uh, I'm very happy to see that because it helps us, I believe, as writers to understand that sometimes what we write can have an effect on people, even if we didn't realize it. And it can have a, a real beneficial effect that they can say, I get what that person is saying because that happened to me. Or that's happening to me now. Or that used to happen to me. Or... I just feel exactly what they feel. And that in itself is a way that when people have a connection from what you've done, that you've actually in some way might have healed them. You might be part of a, a whole, whole force of people out there trying to heal the world, you know, through art, through writing. And I'm all for that because I'm somebody that's been in the military before. I'm somebody that's been in the war before. I can promise you there's no healing going on when people are shooting at you or you're having to shoot at people. Okay, nothing healing about war. So it's good that we do things that are contrary to that for a change. I'm not saying to ignore the fact that sometimes it's unavoidable. I mean, I, I got that. But I also understand, too, that it has its after effects. And these are the things that help us get back to our humanity so that we can go forward and be in the people that we're supposed to be. Well, folks, I hope that really helped you out. The Transformative Powers of Art, episode 187. I really enjoyed talking about that. And I'm hoping that as the time goes by, we'll have a few more episodes down the line on, on other things uh, with the powers of art and maybe some other stories that we come across, okay? Until next time, folks, this is Strength of Be Human, your host, Mark Anthony Ranthi. God bless. Take care. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by visiting our sponsors at www.strengthtobehuman.com or purchasing an ebook at www.somapublishing.com.